Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to be with you here this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, will you please open them up to the book of Psalms, Psalms 117, Psalm 117. Uh, we're going to be reading from there. A couple of weeks ago, we kicked off our, our series called The Songs of Salvation. Uh, Bryce and Mark have started us off. If you've missed those sermons, I'd really encourage you to go check them out online. They were a huge encouragement to me. But we've called the series Songs of Salvation because the Psalms are incredible. They are, they are Psalms with faith, they have like faith with flesh on them. They are, we get to understand and grapple with what faith is like through the book of Psalms. They are real, they are honest, they define truth in difficult moments for us, and as a result, they help us to apply faith in those moments. And so it would be uh, really wise for us as a church to look at the Psalms, learn the lessons that the psalmist learn, apply to ourselves that we might be men and women of faith, and that we might be able to live out this life courageously. So with that in mind, uh, we're going to dive into Psalm 117. It is a whole two verses, so we will read it twice, um, just because we have, we can. Um, and uh, I've got time to kill. No, I'm kidding. I don't. Okay. So, uh, Psalm 117, verses 1, it goes, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Let's do it again. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. This might be the smallest psalm in the whole of uh, the book of Psalms, uh, but it is certainly a psalm that packs a powerful punch. It is apt to use that saying, dynamite comes in small packages when you're referring to the psalm. It is great in faith, it is enormous in its reach, and it is a, a phenomenal psalm that I think we as a church, as SBC, and currently in South Africa as a church, we need to hear. Uh, this is uh, something that we need to not only hear, but grasp, not only hear, but believe and live in light of. And the message of this psalm is this, that God's love prevails, that his love prevails. Now, who is the psalm uh, uh, being addressed to? Well, there's a number of people that you could say are being addressed to. It's all nations, all peoples, and probably Israel, as you look at the word us, as they're talking and including themselves in it. But this is not an exclusive psalm to just a certain amount of people, but it's incredibly inclusive to every single person. So if you want to put that in a South African context, it probably includes the person who speaks Tosa, Zulu, Afrikaans, Venda, Swati, uh, Tswana, Ndebela, Sutu, Southern Sutu, Tsonga, and English. That's all 11. It includes every single one who speaks every language and every culture. The psalm is a psalm that is not exclusive at all, but incredibly inclusive. But what is the psalm calling everyone to? It's calling everyone to praise the Lord, to shout hallelujah, to worship him, to come to this great God and to praise him. Now, this isn't the type of praise that is given half-heartedly to your dog when it brings back a stick. Good boy. It isn't the type of praise that is given when we see someone ace a test. It's far greater than that. 
We see in Revelations 19, it gives the picture of what this could look like when all nations, all peoples, all tongues are around God's throne in the fullness of his presence and they cry out this word praise, hallelujah. It's a wholehearted surrender. Essentially and ultimately, it's coming before God and realizing that he is our king, submitting to him, being obedient to him, and doing so with praise, joyful, delightful obedience, getting to enjoy him. And so the psalm is asking people to do that, everyone to do that. And so it challenges us as a church to see that God's kingdom and God's rule is not just over his tiny church, but over all nations and all people. It's over every single one. And, and we see that in Psalm 103, verse 19, hear these words. It says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. That famous psalm in Psalm 2, talking about God and the nations, it says this, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, uh, uh, set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. And in verse 4 it says, He who sits in the heaven laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Verse 10, it says, Now therefore, uh, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing with trembling kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in, in, in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled blessed are those who take refuge in him the psalm is calling the nations not to come and make God his king but rather to acknowledge that he already is their king and submit under that rulership and, and submit under his rule and reign in and through their lives because he is the true king now, as I say that this morning, I'm well aware that we as Christians and those of us who are Christian in this room believe that. We say that it's right. It is good for the nations, good for all peoples to be able to come to God and reign and, 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 and submit under his reign and rule in and through and over their lives. But I'm also aware that many of us go, meh, but it's not going to happen. We doubt whether or not it can. And, and to give us a bit of uh, slack, I think we look around at the world we find ourselves in and the world seems to be going mad. It's lost the last two marbles that it did have. The sexual and moral revolution is more accepted than the message of the Bible. The, uh, we, see in a, we, we see a world that is rising up that is going to be vastly different for our children to grow up in and the ones that we grew up in. We see that we are questioning the role of gender and whether gender is actually a thing, whether we should have male and female bathrooms. We are asking the question about leadership. We have a poor quotient of leadership. The, free, the leaders of the free world, the United States, the last two presidents that they have been able to muster together, the best that they have was Trump and Joe Biden. And no matter what side of the political aisle you fall into, you've got to admit we are scraping the bottom of the barrel. Long gone are the days of the Mandelas, gone are the days of the Churchills and Theodore Roosevelt's. We, we find ourselves in a world where crime is rising, poverty is flourishing, corruption is rife. And now we find ourselves in a situation where the permuta bill, and I think I pronounced that right, no, or that bill, the amendment to it, is threatening our religious liberty and our freedom. And if you're wanting to find more about what's wrong with the world, join the local Briar later today and you'll find out. But the psalm doesn't allow us to be pessimistic. 
It doesn't allow us to look at the world with lack of hope. But the psalm screams optimism. It screams hope, but not a hope like a hope that today is going to be nice and warm, but a hope that is sure. And it gives us a new lens of faith to be able to look out at this world at. Not one of, oh no, things are horrible, but man, one of hope and of passion and one of surety. So how does it do that? Well, let's look at the, the second verse. I'm ready in the second verse. How amazing is that? We, let's look at the first part of the, uh, the second verse. It says this. For great is his steadfast love toward us. Let us stop there. For great is his steadfast love toward us. The word greater can be understood as prevail. It's translated many other times in the, the, new, uh, the Old Testament as prevail. God's love prevails. The imagery in the times that it's used, it's used in Exodus 12 verse 11 to talk about how an army prevailing against another army stronger, mightier, defeating the other army. The particular story that is being used, and some of you might know it, is when uh, the Israelites are fighting against an enemy and Moses has to keep his arms up in the air, hold the, the, his staff up. And every time the staff is up, the Israelites were prevailing. Every time his arms got tied and he dropped it, the enemy prevailed. And in this, the same word is being used here about God's love is that God's love prevails. It overcomes a stronger enemy. It overcomes the opposition. It prevails. We see it again used in Genesis 7, uh, verses 18 and 20, talking about the flood and how, um, talking about the flood that was taking place and, and, and how the waters were flooding and prevailing over anything that got in his way. It was prevailing and mighty. He has a flood, like God's love is like a flood that goes over any obstacle. God's love prevails, church. There is no opposition that can stand against it. There is nothing that can stop it. It will prevail because great is his steadfast love toward us. And so we have this confidence as a church that it will overcome any obstacle and overwhelms any resistance. And we see the greatness of Christ, of the love of God in Christ. John 15, verses 13 and 14 says this greater love, greater love. There's, there's no greater love than this, says Christ, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you keep my commandments. Greater love has no one than this. I have given you my greatest love, and that's by laying down my life for you. God does not withhold any love from you and me. And his love will prevail. We see it again in that famous verse in John 3:60. For God so loved who? The world. God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And doesn't that also demonstrate us the extent to which God will go for his love? That he would leave heaven and come to us? so that he might become man and die a humiliating death because of his love for you and me? Has he stopped? Oh no, his love prevails. 
on just in case we in any way have thought that this was because of any good in us. Romans 5 verse 8 says God shows his love. He's intentional in doing it. It's not haphazard. It's intentional. God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. His enemies, it will later say, there is nothing good in you and me that have made us decide to be able to choose him or him to choose us. There was nothing in us. And so as we look at a lost and broken and helpless world, we know there is hope because we have experienced it. We have been recipients of this hope. And this is our experience as Christians, that we have been recipients and, and our hard hearts were prevailed, overcome by this great love of Christ. Uh, the other day I was uh, on camera and, uh, and uh, it was during worship and we were singing a song. I can't really remember it's what the lyric was exactly, but it was something along the lines of where would we be without your love? And I was um, considering that day that I was saved and uh, I was just picturing that day. It was a sweet moment for me. I was sitting down at my desk. I was 14 years old doing, a, doing homework, which is a miracle. God really had an appointment with me that day. <laughs> And as I was doing homework, I looked out of the window and I saw a sunset. And it was just this light bulb moment that happened. I just knew God was real. I knew that I knew that I knew God was real, which was strange because I grew up in a Christian home and I always thought I believed in God. But suddenly this wasn't something I was taught, but something that I believed. And I was just thanking God for that moment up on that, uh, on that little stage at the back there. And uh, as I was doing so, I've, I got a picture from the Lord. And the picture was that day, but from his viewpoint. Instead of sitting at the desk, I was in a fetal position on the floor. Unable, helpless, lifeless. Unable to move. And in that moment, as I was acknowledging and realizing my own desperation in the day as God saved me, he showed me my face, but it wasn't mine. It was me, but it wasn't my face. It was my boy's Malachi's. And my heart just broke because I, there's nothing else in this world that I want than my boys to be saved. And I asked, Lord, like, well, what's happening here? And the Lord just showed me and said to me, Joe, I love you like a father. And I tell you that story, and I, I need to just drink some water. I tell you that story not because of anything else, but I want to tell you that's how God saw you. Helpless, unable to save yourself, but in a father's love, with nothing to restrict it, came and rescued you, came and brought you from that helpless state and saved you. And church, that means this helpless world is not able to resist and prevent the prevailing love of God going because it's a father's love and a perfect father at that who will go and get his children. And so we can have confidence in this gospel and in this God that we serve in a world that is broken because of this great prevailing love. Let's carry on with that first part of verse 2. There's more in it. Uh, Laurie and my stepfather were joking about how it's two verses, so we're going home early today. <laughs> uh, and Laurie said, I read between the lines, not just the lines. 
let's let's look at the first part of verse two again with my second point, the kingship of God. It says this, for great is his steadfast love toward us. Whose love is great, church? God's love. His love is great. He is the one who does the saving. He is the one that does the work. Psalm 115 verse 3 puts it like this. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. And this encourages me when it comes to evangelism. It encourages me because I realize that uh, my job as a messenger of Christ is not that I do the saving work but present the gospel that people need to be saved with and Christ does the rest. He is the one that sends his love. He is the one that does the rescuing, not me. And so if I present the gospel and, and someone does not come to know Jesus, I don't see it as a failure because it was never my job to do the saving work. But I can rest in the fact in his sovereignty and in his love that he has decided not now. And I go away knowing that all I had to do was be obedient. He's the one that does the work. We see that in Job 42 verse 2 about this kingship of God, and he does what he pleases. It says this, I know that you can do all things. Just a reminder, he can do all things. And that, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. What is the plan of God? The plan of God is that this gospel will be successful. The plan of God is that this gospel will go forth and achieve its purpose. God's kingdom will advance. And we see that wonderfully described for us in Jesus in Matthew, 15, Matthew 16, verses 15 to 18. He's talking to his disciples, and he says this. He says this to him. He asks them this question, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied to him, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed to you. No man has been able to convince you of this, but my Father who is in heaven continues. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, on this revelation of who Christ is, I will build my church. Who builds it? God builds it. I will build my church, and who will not prevail against it? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is not defensive. This is offensive. This is advancing. This is the advance of the gospel that even the gates of hell will not be able to stop it. And so I want you to know that the prevailing love of God prevails against the gates of hell. And I know we're concerned about this bill, that the amendment to it and its implications that it might have and it could have radical ramifications for us as a church and as believers, but I want to let you know, church, to have this lens on when we look at what the decision is made, that even if the bill goes through, the kingdom of God will still advance. The gospel will still prevail. The church will still stand. It will not just be defensive, but it will go out and the nations and this nation will know Christ. It will not be able to stand against this gospel. Not because of you and me and how fickle we and weak we are. Not because of our intelligence or our strength, but because of the prevailing love of God. And because he is king and he determines and he does what he pleases. 
regardless of what amendments to bills you make. Oh, governments, don't you know we serve the king? I hope that encourages you. The next, psalm, the next part of the psalm, so we're going to move on. It says this, And the faithfulness of the Lord endures. The faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. If his steadfast love is prevailing and great, his faithfulness is eternal. And that is not to contrast the two, but rather they are aspects of the same grace. In other words, we can put the second line as this, that God's plans and purposes are still as fresh and new as they were the day that he made them. He has, his plans have not been forgotten. He has not diverted from them. He's not suddenly just taking his eyes off the ball. But God is still doing his work today. And so that means for us as a church... That God in his sovereignty and in his wisdom, with his plan fully functioning, that he has placed you and me, SBC, here in this church, in this city, in this current craziness of the world for a purpose and a reason. We have been made for a time like this. Oh, man, isn't that every movie in the world that we watch? Braveheart? Oh, I wish I was up on that front line. Oh, man, here we are in a war to advance the kingdom of God with a purpose, with the king. We're on the winning side. To quote Mark from last week, so much winning is happening. I... I remember a, a, when I was a kid, I used to wrestle with my grandfather a lot, like every boy does with his dad. Get there, and I wrestle, and I, I fight him, and I punch him, and go, and I go, I'm beat you up. And he used to look at me and go, you in what army? And I used to turn to him and go, I don't need an army. I've got my grandmother. Because <laughs> I knew who the winner was. I knew who the true boss was. If God is for us, who can be against us? They can bring their armies, but we have God. We will advance. Let's look at the next part, the last part of verse 2. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What's interesting about this is that the first part of the psalm, it calls people to praise. Nations praise. People's praise. But the psalm seems to shift its attention to actually praising. And I think there's a danger for us here as Christians is that we can get caught up in calling others to come and surrender to our king joyfully, but not to do so ourselves. We really, we, we historically bad at this as a church, not as SBC, but as the global church. We are, it's what the world points at us and says, ah, hypocrites. And in this moment, we've got to guard ourselves against this to make sure that as we call the world to come and to praise God, to submit to his rule and to live joyfully under his reign over our lives, that we ourselves make sure that we do so. And so I've got to ask you this morning, how's that going? How's the reign of God going on in your life? How's your joyful submitting and obedience to his will in your life going And is there any joy in it? Man, sometimes we as Christians can be a gloomy bunch of people. I'm speaking to myself there. I have, (laughs) my mother's in the room, so I can't pretend like I'm happy all the time. 
But you might have seen recently in, in the Americans Got Talent, I don't know if any of you are on social media that much, but American Got Talent, they've put up the, one of the latest ladies who got a golden buzz as a spoiler alert. Her name's, uh, well, she goes by the stage name of Nightbird, it's a bit odd, but that's what she goes by. And she wrote and she sung her own song and she got the golden buzz. It was really, really good. You don't get that from being mediocre. And uh, the, big, the big part of the story is that she is in stage four cancer with 2% chance of uh, survival. And she was just joyful up on stage. If you've seen it, she's just happy. She's, she's, yeah, she tells a story, but she's not woe is me kind of a scenario. And she makes this line that's been posted on, on social media millions, if not more times. You can't wait until life is hard until you decide to be happy. That's a nice quote. But church, I tell you that because she has been interviewed by every news station in the world. She is, articles have been written about her because people are blown away by the fact that she can have joy in such a situation. And I don't know if she's a believer or not, but I want to tell you that we don't have 2% chance in which we are clinging to, but what we are clinging to is 100%. We have a greater hope. We have a sure hope. Christ has come. He's defeated the enemy. Death is being defeated. Sin has been defeated. We are guaranteed to be with Jesus. Let us rejoice. Always. Let us exclaim and praise and sing hallelujah as often as we can, even in the tears. Because it is in that as we go and we tell the world about our hope that they see it and go, they have something that I want. It's proven with this lady. So how's that rain going? Is God ruling in there? Are you holding back on some stuff? Are you praising him with your whole life? Is there any sin that the Holy Spirit has been convicting you about that you've just been, oh, I'm going to white-knuckle this one? Are you letting go of it? And if we want to bring it back to evangelism, I think we can all admit there's something that we're holding on to. Because God has commanded us and told us to go, but yet we, we hold on to, ah, no, I don't think so. And we are to submit ourselves as we call. Don't wait until you get perfect before you do that. But we are to make sure that we pursue and do our best in submitting. But also, and this brings me to the second thing that I see in this praise, is that really a praise ultimately leads to proclamation. The ultimate form of praise, at least as I see it, is that we go tell others about it. You go watch a lovely play at the Guild Theatre. It's awesome you enjoy it. Not only do you stand up and give the ovation to the actors and actresses that put it on for you, but you go home and you go back to work and you go, man, you would not believe what I saw last night. You see your child do something, you make sure you tell people about it. Your child does well at the test. Oh, my son did well, my daughter did well. We go to fancy restaurants, we make sure we Instagram our meal. Because so good. People must see what I'm eating. No one wants to see it, but you've got to let everyone let it. Because praise ultimately leads to telling others. And have we not been recipients of the greatest thing ever? The best joy, the best news, and we have it. Surely we tell others about it. It's like having the vaccine and you're the only one who has the vaccine to COVID but keeping it to yourself. Don't you go run around and tell people, I've got good news. Maybe that depends on your view on the vaccine. In light of the psalm and everything that it has, 
for us. And it was such a hopeful, joyful psalm. It shapes a couple of things, and we're going to end off with this. It shapes the way we view evangelism. And I've already touched on this. But again, our job is not to present it as this. Our job is not to win souls ourselves, but to present the gospel in order that souls might be won. And let the Holy Spirit do the rest. And so that also means that you don't have to do so perfectly. Doesn't that bring you comfort? That through your poor explanations, through your nervous stammering and stumbling, that God is able to take your scraps and make something beautiful from it. That He is able to shape hearts. And that means, that means you don't have to know all the, the Roman road and all the verses off by heart and every question they might throw at you. The call is just to be obedient. God requires obedience, not perfection. Are we going to be obedient there? I think if we see this, we are not doing so so that we guarantee that we're going to get a smack back. If we view that the gospel will advance, we know that there is a good chance that people will be saved. If we have a pessimistic, a pessimistic view of this, ultimately we think, oh, I'm going to share it, but I, they're just going to say no. But this changes the way I view evangelism. <laughs> the kingdom will advance. It also sh that means it shapes the way I see church. We do this not to maintain we're not in the maintaining business of church. We're not here to hold on to what we have as the world gets bad and we keep it to ourselves. No, no, we are in the advancing business. We grow. And it also means we don't see this as SBC is our kingdom of building SBC's kingdom, but we build the kingdoms, God's kingdom. Not about us. This is not about making sure our venue is full, but about making sure people join the kingdom of God. That's why our mission statement is to fill the city of East London with the gospel and glory of Jesus Christ, not to fill SBC. And hopefully one day, not only just East London, but we will fill the nations. And lastly, it also means it shapes the way I see missions. Missions is no longer a futile exercise. Not something that is done and, oh, yeah, they're going to go off to that country, but, you know, those heathens, they're never going to get saved. But rather we see it with a hope. We, we want to be a, a church that sends. We want to be a people that supports missions. So supporting missionaries in different uh, countries and those mission, missionaries that are going out to different countries is not something we're just wasting our money on, but we see it as a necessity. See, it is absolutely vital because the gospel is going to advance. And so it shapes the way we see something. And I just want to give you a bit of a heads up. Uh, next week, we're going to ask you for money. <laughs> we, have a, we have a missionary in town, Joe Davey. And uh, she is, she's, she's, you've, you've met her. If you haven't, you will next week. She's absolutely incredible. She's one of the missionaries we support. And uh, Joe is, as we feel as an eldership, is uh, a bit underfunded, just over half of what she needs, what we feel she needs. And so we are appealing to you as a church next week to uh, come ready 
with a, an, an amount in mind that you want to give to Joe. We spoke just a generosity series, and we spoke about this times that there's a once-off giving. This is one of those times we come into you as a church to do. But I, I want you to be prepared mentally and, uh, and prayed up about this next week so you can come, hey, this is an amount I'm willing to part way with and give to the successful advancement of God's kingdom through Joe. And the beauty about Joe is she's not just a missionary off in Libya anymore, but she rather she's having influences with multiple missionaries, and through her she actually reaches nations, not just one nation. And so I really want you to pray and consider in light of today's sermon, what are you going to be able to give? And it doesn't have to be a lot. Hey, it can be a lot, but it doesn't have to be. It can be once off, but also we're looking for those who might be able to come and give monthly, long-term-wise. So have that in mind. Pray about it. Consider it. And if you, you're going through the week and you're not too sure what God's saying to you, give me a call and I'll tell you. He's saying yes. Um, and read the psalm again. And, and uh, yeah, so I want to give you that there. I want to end off with that. So would you just mind closing your eyes? And uh, we are going to just spend some time considering what God has said to us this morning. How's your joy doing? How's that rule in your life going? Is there anyone that God might be placing on your heart um, to, to go and share, but you've been maybe just resisting because you've been worried about what they would say, but in light of today's sermon, you might just go boldly and share with them Jesus, knowing that God, it's God's work to go and do it. Is there hope stirred in you? Do you see how our God will advance? Let that rise and praise him. Praise him as we spend this moment. Our Lord, we are thankful for who you are. We are so thankful, Lord, that you are a God whose steadfast love prevails, that you are faithful, that you will always achieve your purposes. You do what you please. I'm thankful, Lord, that we do not have to uh, muster up strength and to do this ourselves, but to know that the gospel that will advance because of the love of Jesus Christ, that we are on the winning team because you are with us and you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, and we have this incredible hope of Jesus Christ. But I pray, Lord, that in us we would have a boldness that does stir from this, that we would not cower, that we would be courageous, that we will as a church be empowered by your spirits, that we might go out into the city and to reach the city for the, God, for the glory of Jesus Christ. That, Lord, you would give us the words to be able to stand up and speak to our colleagues, our friends, our neighbors, strangers, knowing that we do this out of obedience, but you do the rest. And you will win. You will prevail that we are on the winning team and not the losing, and that is guaranteed, that is written in Scripture, that's not up in the air. And so, Lord, we thank you for who you are. Praise your name. You're worthy of all our praise. You're worthy of all our honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. As we respond, I'm always, uh, I just love when we sing a song in response because actually the words have new meaning. Um, when we do that and so um, we're going to sing only king forever we're going to worship the lord but it has great meaning in terms of what joe has just um shared with us and what the lord's laid on our hearts this morning so let's worship him
our God. Our God, a firm foundation, our rock, the only solid ground, as nations rise and fall. Kingdoms, when strong now shaken, we trust forever in your name. The name of Jesus, we trust. We trust the name of Jesus. You are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever, forevermore. You are victorious. You are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever, forevermore. You are victorious. He's unmatched in all his wisdom. Justice you will reign, and every knee will bow. We bring our expectations, our hope is anchored in your name, the name of Jesus. We trust you, Jesus.
Give thanks to the Lord for his good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. Father, this morning we give you thanks. We were in your presence this morning and we give you thanks for that, Father. We sang songs, wonderful songs, Lord, and we thank you for the people that composed them. Songs about you being our king, about your love, about your faithfulness, about your mercy. And then we heard a wonderful psalm, and Father, thank you for that psalm that tells us how great is your love for us and how great, well, your faithfulness that endures forever. So, Father, how can we be discouraged? How can we be downcast and how can we grow weary if your love endures forever? So, Father, as we were challenged by, by Joey this morning, Lord, just uh, let it not end here, Lord. Let the challenge go with us as we go into this week. Let that joy that we sang with this morning be with us this week let us let our belief and our trust and our faith in you remain with us this week so father we just commit that all to you in jesus glorious name thank you for who you are thank you for what you are doing thank you that you are not finished with us and we rejoice and praise you for that this morning blessed is the name of the Lord. Amen.